Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. We rely on the generosity of our listeners to sustain this ministry and the message of Messianic Judaism for all nations. Please consider making a donation to Beth Emanuel by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face. Now, I know in part, but then, I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven to 12 The idea of a mirror is that whatever you are seeing in a mirror is not the real thing. It shows you a reflection but not the thing itself. Moreover, the reflection is backwards and not a perfect image. In the ancient world, mirrors were not the perfectly flat, transparent glass, metallic-backed reflective mirrors we have today. Water was the best reflector, and reflecting pools were popular. Otherwise, mirrors were made of polished bronze, reflecting an image neither sharp nor undistorted, and, when slightly tarnished, a dim and poorly reflected image. The mirror analogy describes our experience of life, the universe, and everything. We think of ourselves as seeing the real world, but what are we actually experiencing? Nothing, except crude sensory inputs through a biochemical nervous system which feeds into a central processing unit of tangled neurons where it undergoes some sort of interpretation that translates into an artificial construction we understand as our experiences of the world around us. For example, if I look at an object, I'm not actually seeing the object. Instead, photons bouncing off of the object are passing through a lens to hit a receptor on my optic nerve, which sends not a picture but an electrical signal to my brain which my brain must assemble into some meaningful interpretation and approximation of the object. It's artificial. I'm not actually seeing the object. And the face you see in the mirror is not actually your face looking back at you. This is true of everything we experience in this world. We are far removed from reality. According to Dr. Donald David Hoffman, A professor of cognitive sciences and author of the book titled The Case Against Reality, all of reality in space and time as we perceive it and experience it is artificial. It's like the interface of an app or piece of software on your computer. On the screen of your monitor, you can open a new document, watch a video, open a window, close a window, manipulate icons, move things into a trash bin to delete them. All the while, you do understand that none of that really exists. It's not really there. There isn't really a trash bin. It's just an icon. There's not really a picture there. It's just an illusion created by complex, a complex system of software stacked upon complex programming, stacked on operating systems to fire little colored lights in the screen that you can interact with. That's all you're doing. Interacting with little colored lights all day long. 
Hoffman uses the computer interface as an analogy for reality. We aren't really seeing reality. This much is obvious to science. We know that there exist colors we can't see on both ends of the spectrum. There are sounds too high and too low for the human ear. Sense we cannot smell. We know that the majority of the universe consists of dark matter, or dark energy, which we can't perceive. Life, the universe, and all of our experiences work more like a simulation, like a VR headset, or a piece of software we are running. That's why, in Jewish mysticism, we refer to this world as the world of concealment. This isn't reality. If so, how can we hope to find absolute reality? How can we hope to know what's true wisdom? Paul says, we can't. Not completely. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. That is, in an unpolished mirror. We aren't getting the whole picture. We can only see in part. We call this reality, but it's not reality at all. We don't have a clue about reality. We aren't designed to see it. Because God is reality. Absolute reality. What we call reality is all inside our heads as we interpret the world around us. In that sense, we are creating the reality we live in. And this explains why our words are so powerful to shape our experience of life. Our Torah portion illustrates this point well. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. Numbers 11.1 1. What does it mean to become like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord? It means to be one who sees the negative instead of the good, points out the negative instead of the good, and turns the good into something negative. In our Torah portion, the children of Israel tire of the manna. Why do they tire of the manna? It was perfect food. It tasted like wafers with honey. There were all sorts of different ways to prepare it. The people would go and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it in a mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was the taste of cakes baked with oil. And it appeared on the ground fresh every morning. If you got sick of the flavor of honey and wafers, you could make it taste like something else. It was infinitely versatile. Jewish tradition maintains it could taste like anything you wanted. The wisdom of Solomon says, Thou fedest thine own people with angels' food, and didst send them bread prepared without their labor, able to content every man's delight and agreeing to every taste, for thy sustenance declared thy sweetness unto thy children, and serving to the appetite of the eater tempered itself to every man's liking. So how do you get, how do you get sick of something that can taste like anything you wanted? Well, apparently it could not taste like fish, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and the garlic. Once the people began to complain, they no longer wanted the manna. What was once perfect became abhorrent to them. They shaped their reality by their complaints, and the manna became disgusting to them. We remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Numbers 11, 5 through 6. 
This is why the wisdom literature, such as Proverbs and the book of James, Wisdom of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, spend so much time warning us about the weight of our words. Words have the potential Words have the potential to not only shape our own perception of reality, but also that of others. When we complain about things or criticize people or criticize our spouse or children or parents or family or criticize and complain about our community and synagogue or whatever the case may be, we are creating a world of adversity as surely as God made this world in which we live out of spoken words. But unlike Hashem, who made the world and declared, it is very good, we are declaring, it is very bad. In so doing, we create an evil world in which to live. We speak the language of the adversary, the language of criticism, condemnation, and accusation. And this creates a negative reality, and it will absolutely suck the joy out of life. It's a poison that taints all of reality. It's shaping the whole program we are running. Sin in general, but especially our negative words and sentiments, further smudge up and tarnish the dim mirror into which we are peering like dirty fingerprints. Meanwhile, God is listening to us as we destroy his world and our own lives along with it, with our words. Why do we have this power at all? Because human beings were created to be his agents in the world, his representatives made in the image of God, we are, in a diminished sense, supposed to be the mirror reflection of God, his image and his form. When Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly, he is talking about the gifts of God's Spirit at work in the body of the Messiah. It's a discussion about our experience of God through the revelation of His Holy Spirit and specifically the supernatural gift of prophecy. What is prophecy? All disciples of Yeshua should be earnestly desiring to prophesy, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14.1 In the biblical context, a prophet is not someone who tells the future like a soothsayer. However, predicting the future might be the result of a certain level of prophecy. A prophet is not someone who can read minds or read your mail like a psychic practicing divination. However, a prophet might have a revelation about what's in another person's heart. That's a level of prophecy too. It's a level of spiritual knowing A prophecy is a spiritual revelation downloaded from God through His Spirit into human consciousness in one form or another. Not all prophecies are the same grade and caliber. Different prophets receive greater and lower levels of prophecy. The lower levels of revelation include spiritual intuitions, dreams, and visions. A higher level would be to receive from the Lord a spiritual insight formulated as a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a word of understanding, that is, a word of faith. Such utterances might come in the form of oracles and riddles, ambiguous words which must be interpreted. This is also the level of predictions. Higher still is the revelation of direct speech when God speaks directly, such as the experience of all Israel at Mount Sinai. The people heard God's voice speaking. This is the level the prophets attain when they preface their words with the formula, Thus saith the Lord. Higher than hearing God speaking is the level of having a conversation with God. This is the level of Moses. 
The Torah refers to Moses as the greatest prophet. It concludes with the words, Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Deuteronomy 34, 10. Numbers 12, 6-8 says, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses experienced a level of prophecy which was conversational. It's the highest level of prophecy, the highest level of revelation with God, to be in conversation with absolute reality. We can call that the level of Moses. So mouth-to-mouth means conversationally. Face-to-face means person-to-person. What does this have to do with mirrors and seeing into a mirror dimly? He says, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. The Hebrew word for vision, mara, also means mirror. So the verse could be translated to say, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a mirror. But it's a dim mirror. It's not a polished mirror. And it's not the real experience of God. It's only an imperfect reflection, many times removed. Playing on the double meaning of the word vision and mirror, the Midrash Rabbah contrasts Moses' exalted level of prophecy against that of the other prophets. It says all the other prophets saw their prophetic vision dimly through nine mirrors, marah, a number derived from the number of times the Hebrew word for vision, or to see, occurs in Ezekiel's description of his magnificent and awe-inspiring vision of the chariot. Here's the Midrash. What difference is there between Moses and all other prophets? Rabbi Yehuda Barilai and the rabbis gave different explanations. Rabbi Yehuda said, All the other prophets saw their prophetic visions through nine mirrors. This is indicated by what is said in Ezekiel 43.3, And it was like the appearance, one, of the vision, two, which I saw, three, like the vision, four, which I saw, five, when he came to destroy the city, and the visions, six and seven, because it's plural visions, were like the vision, eight, which I saw, nine, by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face. But Moses saw his prophetic visions through one mirror, as it says in Numbers 12, eight, with him I speak mouth to mouth in a clear vision, mare, and not in dark sayings. The rabbi said, all the other prophets saw their prophetic visions through a tarnished, dim mirror. As it is said in Hosea 12.10, I gave numerous visions, and through the prophets I gave parables. But Moses saw his prophetic vision through a polished mirror. As it is said in Numbers 12.8, he beholds the form of the Lord. Leviticus Rabbah 1.14 
Even the greatest prophets, like Ezekiel, saw their vision, as it were, through nine mirrors. That is, nine reflections removed from the source. They saw their vision in the form of obscure riddles, comparable to the dim and blurred reflection one would see while looking into a tarnished mirror. Moses saw clearly. He heard clearly. He had a direct line from God. That's why the words of Moses have higher authority than any other prophet. The words of Moses came directly from God, not through nine mirrors, but only through one mirror. Or, to put it another way, face to face. This is the context for what Paul says when he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 1 Corinthians 13.12 Likewise, the Midrash Rabbah concludes the discussion with these words. In this world, the Shekinah manifests itself only to chosen individuals. In the world to come, however, it is written in Isaiah 40 verse 5, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Leviticus Rabbah 114. Our highest level of the revelation of God in this current world does not attain to even that of the level of Moses. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. In the Messianic age, however, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, and the knowledge of God will fill the earth, and they will all know the Lord from the least to the greatest, and on that day the least among the prophets of the Messianic era will be greater than the greatest prophet of this age. As Yeshua says, among those born of women there is no prophet greater than John, but the least in the kingdom will be greater than him. In the Messianic era, we will attain the level of Moses, the level of face-to-face. It's to this future hope that Moses alludes when he is warned, in this Torah portion, that Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua says, Moses, my lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Numbers 11.29 With those words, Moses anticipated the future messianic era, when the Lord will pour out his spirit on all flesh, and every person will know the Lord. Yalkut Moshiach observes that the numerical value of the phrase, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them, is equivalent to the numerical value of the phrase, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Joel 3.1. In that day, all the Lord's people will be prophets, and the least of them will be a greater prophet than the greatest prophet in this era. The Holy One, blessed be He, said, In this world, only a few individuals receive the gift of prophecy, but in the world to come, all Israel will be made prophets. As it says in Joel 3.1, it will come about After this, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Numbers, Rabbah 15.25 Disciples of Yeshua live for the kingdom now, with the objective of bringing that future kingdom reality into the world today. Paul tells us we should desire earnestly the spiritual, especially that you may prophesy. Every disciple of Yeshua has endowment of God's Spirit, at least in potential, just as the 70 elders received a portion of the Spirit that was on Moses in our Torah portion.
We all have the potential to experience God on all these various levels of prophecy, even if only through a dim mirror, even if only in part, until we reach the kingdom, when we will know face to face. There's a yet higher level of prophecy still that transcends the conversational. What's higher than a conversation with God? Is there a spiritual world higher than the Messianic era? Yes, it's called the world to come. Is there a prophet greater than Moses? Yes, he's called the Son of God. The Messiah surpasses Moses, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Regarding Moses, it says in our Torah portion, He is faithful in all my household, but... Messiah was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Hebrews 3, 5, and 6. Paul points us toward the highest level of prophetic revelation, which is the experience of spiritual unity with God through the Holy Spirit. It's the state of knowing and being fully known. Listen once more. He says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Above the level of face to face is the level of revelation that transcends human language. Knowing God and being known by God is the highest level of the experience of God. Only at that highest level can we be said to be really experiencing the objective reality. It's not something that happens through our physical senses or can be processed in our physical brains. It's not abstraction or part of the interface or a sensory experience or a cognitive construction. It's beyond all of that. The highest experience of prophecy is the experience I will know just as I also have been fully known, not in part, but in whole. What do you think that's like? I believe it's the level of divine love, because God is love. I believe love is fundamental. The revelation of divine love is absolute reality. Love is the subject of the conversation in 1 Corinthians 13. A conversation Paul prefaces with the words, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not have love, I am nothing. He concludes the discourse on divine love with the words, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. So let's watch our words, avoid evil speech, negativity, and bitterness, and instead seek to put our tongues into the service of divine love through which we may express the highest level of prophecy and revelation and God's wisdom. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. 
Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Take on my yoke and learn from me and find rest for your soul. 